was 14 years old walking home from basketball practice. Um, the gym in which we uh, practiced at uh, was maybe two blocks away from my house. Didn't have my keys on me. I knocked on the door, didn't get anywhere. So peeked in the window, tried to see if, you know, if, if my mom was home or anything like that. Knocked on the window a couple of times, got basically yelled at saying, hey, turn around. And I was like, you know, huh? You know, I'm a freshman in high school. These, these cops get out the car. They were in an unmarked uh, SUV. The, the SUV has pulled up on the sidewalk. I get patted down. They look in my backpack and they go, well, suspect, someone who looks like you has been uh, causing a disturbance in the area. And they, and they go, get down on your knees. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Get down on your knees. He reaches for his gun. The other one reaches for his handcuffs. I get down on my knees. Um, it's wet outside. It's fall. Um, and, you know, they they put the cuffs on on one arm, on my right arm. If, yeah, it's on my right arm. And so my hands are behind my head. And they go to put the cuffs on, on my left arm. And they radio it in. Hey, we've got the suspect. And the lady from the dispatch calls back in, suspect was white. Jamal Oldham is black. He is also a business leader, a father. He serves on the board of several organizations. He's a community leader and activist. On today's KL Podcast, we celebrate Black History Month, and we speak to Jamal Oldham about Coretta Scott King and how her impact has a legacy that continues today. Jamal Oldham, welcome to the Kind Leadership Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, Jamal got here because of a post on LinkedIn that Tim saw. So Tim, I want you to like talk about what turned you on and, 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 and how, we, how we got here in the first place. Well, we got here because on MLK Day, I saw a post on LinkedIn of Jamal's, and it was incredibly powerful and informative, but it was not an MLK post. He posted about Coretta Scott King, which I've never seen before on MLK Day. Jamal, what inspired you to go a different direction? Well, you know, honestly, I was just thinking about just thinking about how everybody kind of posts, you know, a quote about Martin Luther King or a post that Martin Luther King has said on Martin Luther King Day. It kind of has become its own, um, you know, for lack of a better term, a meme fest. And so I was wondering like, okay, well, how do we get here? You know, what's the, you know, yeah. what's the origin story behind the day? And so I just started, you know, just got on Google. How did, how did MLK Day start? And so then I found the post, uh, well, I found the King Center. And so then I went and started looking at some of their pages and I found that, it was Coretta who started the day. And I, and, and, I, and I thought that was so interesting and compelling. And so I, I was reading her bio and I, and I thought that her, her bio was so amazing. And so, you know, I, I felt it was a, a good way to kind of center things, at least for me and for the folks who I'm tied to, friends with and associated with to say, hey, you know, there would be no this if it weren't for that. Because essentially she basically is the sole reason why we remember Martin Luther King in the way that we remember him today. And so I thought it was a good way to, to in posting that, I thought it was a good way for us to be able to, to understand that, to remember that. And then, you know, I tied a fundraiser to it on my uh, Facebook page and, you know, we, uh, a couple of friends of mine donated and raised a little over $250 for the King Center as well. 
That's great. I, you, 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 Jamal, you said that, uh, that, that, that the things that, that she had done, Coretta Scott King had done was amazing. You talked about like <laughs> her accomplishments, but I, I, I think that that, that is like the understatement of this entire podcast to say that yeah. things she's done are amazing. And, and I think that when you, when, uh, I mean, we're not going to do like this, you know, point by point list of all the things she's done, although we yeah. could spend 45 minutes doing that. It yeah. is King's legacy. When we talk about King's legacy, People automatically think of Martin Luther King, but right. I think that the real legacy, it starts with him, but it, it, it moves to her and the things that she's accomplished. I mean, up, up until her death, the things that she was doing affected every single person across the globe. It's yes. incredible, truly incredible. Yeah, no, I agree 1000%. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is that, you know, she started, you know, the King Center, um, I think it was less than three months after Dr. King died. And so, you know, it, I thought that was so interesting because, you know, in a time where, you know, she would and honestly probably had the absolute right to still be mourning the death of her husband, the, the father of her children, the, you know, her partner in life, she decided to move forward, right? She's a visionary. And so she started the King Center down in Atlanta and basically used that as a platform to, 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 start global change around issues that were important to, to both of them and to continue the things that, that he was fighting for and that she was likely fighting for as well and just never probably received the, the attention that, that you know, he got on that. So I, th I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, so you know, Jamal, you mentioned that when you were kind of researching how, how MLK Day came about, you know, mm -hmm. you read her bio, Sounds like it may have been a little bit educational for you. It yeah. certainly was for me. You know, when we were preparing for this call, you know, and I started digging into it. And, you know, one of the quotes that I came across from Coretta Scott King was, at some point she said, I was never just a wife nor a widow. And I think, you know, unfortunately, that's how a lot of people think of her. You know, yeah. she'll, she'll, yeah. she'll certainly be linked to MLK forever. But when you start digging into her life and her accomplishments, there's a whole story that can stand on its own. So yeah. when, you, when you were doing your research, Jamal, you know, what attributes really stood out to you about Coretta Scott King? You know, I think one of the, the I think the biggest thing that stood out was that, you know, she, I think she saw the things for what they could be, not for what they were. Um, she, she was a visionary, you know, she, she was a leader, she was a mother. Um, and she basically, she decided to, instead of just, you know, deciding to, to, to live her life and to raise her kids, which she would have been absolutely okay in doing, she decided to move forward, right? You know, um, yeah, I think we all have, we all have the energy to do stuff. She decided to use the energy that she had to to, to move forward. And I mean, you know, you know, kind of like we talked about in the prep, you know, her, her work showed me that, you know, that basically she operates with purpose and, you know, it's, and she's willing to do what, what it takes for the greater good, you know, of her family. And in this case of the world, and it, to me, it was just inspiring. And like in reading the bio, I, I, I literally kind of had my mouth open the, the whole time. Cause I was like, I never knew the majority of this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, her, her legacy, you know, almost it's it's intertwined with Martin's, but it almost sometimes also gets eclipsed by it. And so it, it was really interesting for me to, to kind of really see who she was and to understand it. 
and you know as you know and I have daughters so in being able to 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 see that you know she didn't get she didn't stop where she um she didn't stop at, at, at his death, she kept going. And, you know, was this human rights activist, was this global rights activist? Um, it, it was just really inspiring. It just, you know, it, it floored me completely. Yeah, yeah, Jamal. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one of the things that really struck me, Jamal, is, you know, you said she moved forward after Dr. King's assassination. Yeah. And, you know, that in itself is an accomplishment. But when I started looking at the timeline, yeah. and you're the one who pointed this out to me because <laughs> you said, you know, she started planning the King Center shortly after um, after Dr. King was killed. And then I really looked at the timeline. And so, you know, here's the timeline. Dr. King assassinated on April 4th. She spoke at her church and addressed the congregation on April 6th, you know, most people who know their history regarding MLK know that he was in Memphis to lead a sanitation workers um, mm -hmm. protest. Mm -hmm. She actually led that protest in his place on April 8th. Uh, yeah, April 8th, four days after the assassination. And then the funeral was on April 9th. Yeah. And oh, by the way, she started planning the King Center on April 6th. So he was assassinated on April 4th. Before the funeral took place, she started planning the King Center. She addressed her congregation and she marched with the Memphis sanitation workers. I mean, I'm blown away by how quickly she moved forward. That is yeah. what struck me. Those dates, I can't, I'm still having a hard time processing because I think so many of us, tragedy paralyzes us. Right. And for Miss King, it, it seemed like it actually, you know, it inspired her in a way. It actually revved her up to do more. And I just, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, you know, I wish we were, I wish she were still alive where I could like tweet her or something because, <laughs> yeah. you know, because <laughs> like, tweet. because you know, like, like look at, look at that timeline, you know, because it's like, you, you think about how people, um, people process grief now and the, and, you know, I'm thankful for the, the counseling efforts that have been made around grief that people have resources to do these things. And, you know, she, probably, you know, may have had some pastoral counseling given, you know, kind of the, the religious foundation that existed specifically within the, the 60s and within the Black community. But she got to work, you know, um, two days after her husband died, she spoke at the church, you yeah. know, on April 8th, she was marching, she, she, she worked to finish the job. Yeah, and, you, know, you know, it's, you know, it, I, I think we, we talked a lot about what she accomplished afterwards. I feel like that that motivation came from who she was before she even met him. Yes. I yeah. You think about it. She was a, she was studying political activism. Mm -hmm. She was studying music. So she had this, she had this emotional side, but she also had this very organized side. She came from the deep South. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, you think about the opportunities for her. Uh, I don't, I, I can't imagine they were great, but she ended up doing a great thing. And I don't believe that somebody with, the kind of life goals that someone like Martin Luther King Jr. had would be attracted to a woman who didn't mirror that in some way. Yeah, you know, it was there the whole yeah. time. It was a motivator. And I, I, this is going to be kind of crazy. We haven't talked about this, but have you guys seen Hamilton? Yeah. 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 How did you feel at the end of Hamilton when you realize all the things that Eliza Hamilton accomplished after Hamilton's death? 
I didn't know that. Yeah. And I felt the same way when I read this. I was like, well, I, I kind of thought all these were the things that he had done, but yeah. it's all the things that she had done. She had done. Yeah. And, and you bring the, up a great point, Henry, about, you know, that was there before she met her husband. Um, you know, it's pretty well documented that she was politically active before he was. You know, if you look that up and, you know, one of the, there is a, there is a quote that I came across, man, I love this so much. So at some point, uh, a reporter asked Dr. King if he had educated his, his wife on the issues of the day. And he said, no, she, ed she educated me. <laughs> and I don't, we don't think of Coretta Scott King like that, right. you know, I mean, Hopefully anyone who's listening maybe is changing their perspective right now, but I can tell you, you know, that I've had a perspective shift just in preparing for this call. It's been really interesting, but yeah, I'm I thought one of the cool, one of the really, really cool things coming out of this conversation. And after we got kind of that timeline and accomplishments that Jamal had sent over and, you know, we mentioned this in our discussion, preparing for the call, whether it was civil rights, the women's movement, LGBT rights, apartheid any of the number of things that she was involved with heavily is and i mean just a phenomenal accomplishment she was on the right side of history like Always. every time every yeah. time like batting a thousand and that's that's just unheard of and that's what what really struck me too and especially when we were having that conversation to say man that is that is deeply deeply rooted wisdom in in knowing what what right is and, and what the right stance is to have because it's it really is unheard of with someone with that type of legacy or that type of timeline to consistently be on the right side of history. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, it's amazing. I, yeah. So Henry, you know, you know, Jamal talked about Miss um, King being a visionary and and Josh has kind of touched on, you know, for lack of a better word, how righteous she was. I mean, she was on the right side of history in almost every issue were there any attributes that just struck you as, as you prepared for the call, Henry? For me, uh, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about um, today and we have a, we have a female, a woman of color vice president. And then, yeah. and, and, and for, for us, I think for, for us, it seems like, yeah, okay, that's a, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's monumental. It's, but it's, it makes sense. Smart person is, is vice president. Why shouldn't they be? But I think about Coretta Scott King then and how difficult it must have been to be both a woman and a, and, and a black woman and to be able to get an audience with the people who were in control. I mean, already today, there are all these pushes for diversity campaigns and being intentional about creating a diverse workplace in 2021. We're talking about that. Yeah. So how difficult must that have been for her just to get that, that audience with, with the white guys that were in charge of everything. And, and, and she clearly got it and she traveled the world and got it. So it wasn't, I, I, that's the thing that, that, that attribute her, I, I'm sure that there's a, just a relentlessness. I'm sure that, that she had to be very smart. I'm sure that she had to cultivate incredibly great relationships with people who would advocate on her behalf. So those are the stories that aren't told in here. We're seeing the accomplishments, yeah. but the real interesting thing is how she got to that, those points. And yeah. I bet, you know, you could probably dig into a two hour documentary on just, just how she supported LGBT rights or, yeah. you know, or impact on the apartheid movement. 
Yeah. When we, when we talk about her attributes, I'll tell you what struck me was, was her courage. I mean, you, you kind of, you, you have to really digest it to understand exactly how brave she was. And I don't even feel like courage actually does justice. I mean, it is fearlessness. Yeah. Um, if you think about, you know, everything that she experienced and, you know, when Dr. King was assassinated, there had been previous attempts on his life. Um, you know, he received death threats via phone many times. And I think she often answered the phone. I actually read, um, I read where it got to a point where she would answer the phone and there would be someone making a death threat and she would say, my husband's sleeping. He told me to get the name and number of anyone who called with a death threat and he'll return your call in the morning when he's fresh. <laughs> and I'm, that's, that's Incredible. like, well, it's just next level. Yeah. Able to get past the fear and just, man, stare it down. I, I'm amazed by it. Let, let me just explain to you that when someone pulls into my driveway to turn around because we live on a dead end street, we all get up and look out the window and we wonder who is this person? What are they doing? To, to the point that, that Tim was talking about the, the death threats. I mean, that was, that was life for anybody who chose a path of activism back then. If you think about her, if you think about, you know, um, you know, Megger Evers wife who, you know, Megger Evers was killed in his driveway. You know, yeah. that was, that was life. Um, if you think about like Betty Shabazz, Malcolm X's wife, uh, that was just, that was life, you know? Yeah. And do so think, do you think it's changed a lot? I mean, do you think in, in 50 years, 40 years, it's actually changed that much in terms of the death threats? Sure. But in, in you know, overall policy, I mean, there, there's, there have been changes. Progress has been made, but there's still a ways to go. You know, if you if you look at um, what happened in the 60s, you know, the the legislation for the Voting Rights Act, um, you know, is is oftentimes looked at as, you know, the the I guess the the ability to secure the right to vote for black people. Really, what the Voting Rights Act did was it was the first time in American history where every person had the right to vote. That legislation is the first time in American history where every U.S. citizen got the right to vote. Before that, the right to vote was limited, right? So, yeah. you know, 13% of the population or more didn't have the right to vote. So that act essentially secured it so that every citizen, you know, barring, you know, certain, certain conditions, you know, terms and conditions may apply, um, had the right to, yeah. to go place a vote and be represented you know, by, you know, their state and local representatives up until up to the presidency. Um, and so, yeah, so there have been some significant changes made, um, but there's still some things to go. So, yeah, it's, I mean, there's some similarities. Certainly that that time is different in many ways than now. Um, some better, some some worse, probably Jamal. Mm -hmm. But, you know, generationally, you're removed from Coretta Scott King. But how, how did you personally relate to her story when you started um, researching? Well, I mean, you know, she, you know, she reminded me of black women in my family. I mean, she reminded me, for example, of my grandmother, uh, you know, my grandmother, uh, Vernice McClay. She, she's um, passed, um, I guess it's been 
seven, almost seven years now, uh, born in 1927 also. Um, but, you know, for example, my uncle, her son, uh, wanted to start a business when I was probably, I don't know, maybe five years old. He wanted to open a pool hall. And, you know, my grandmother decided that she at the time was going to do whatever it took to make it work. Uh, my grandmother had six kids um, at the time that he started that had uh, 12 grandkids. Um, and, you know, and she, you know, put in the time to help him get that thing going and make it successful. Um, that business, um, he had it for maybe 20 years um, and it provided jobs and income for my entire family. For me being a, you know, a, a kid sweeping up, coming up there after school um, sweeping up for a bag of chips and a candy bar, you know, brushing the pool tables to make sure that they look good for the folks who were going to come in after work to my older brother um, and cousins who would go in and DJ from, let's say, you know, seven o'clock to nine o'clock because back in the early 90s, scratching was cool um, to my aunts. <laughs> it's still cool. It's still cool. You know, you know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> but to my aunts being because um, it was one boy and five girls to so my aunts being, you know, cooks and helping to run stock. It was a it was a true family business, but it started with her and my grandfather at the time basically deciding that, hey, we're going to put all of our resources, which wasn't much, but which the majority of the resource was time. And we're going to we're going to see this thing through. Um, so it reminded me of that. And so it was something that I could connect with on that level. Um, yeah. And so she she had she had something that was in front of her. Coretta had something that was in front of her where, you know, it was it was a. a a much larger movement. And it was a movement not for just her kids. It was not just a movement for her grandkids, but it was a movement for, for, for all of our children, right? It was a movement for us who weren't even here yet. And so she basically decided to, to press forward um, and, and do so. And I, you know, to me, it was, it was like, I don't know that, I don't know that I could have made the right decision or I could have been in the right headspace to make the right decision, or I could, or, or, or whatever that was, and you know, it was inspiring, and it made me think. Okay, well, if this were my spouse, and we were in this scenario, what would what would the move be that I would have made? And you know, kind of what what preparations are we making to secure, you know, the future not just for us, but for everybody around us? And so, that's kind of the headspace that it put me in. It made me think about, you know, where I want my legacy to be, and you know, what are how do I want to prove to the world that my family's actually been here? Yeah. You said the word that made me think, uh, the word that kept coming to mind the whole time I listened to you tell that story was about legacy. Yeah. It yeah. was about, it was about not only your roots, but your branches. Yes. And, and, you know, I said at the top of this, that, you know, that the part of what we're doing is, is, is having these conversations around black history month, which is a chance to go and revisit the roots and also talk about the branches. So, you know, but what does black history month mean to you? Um, I think it means one, um, a moment to reflect on the things that have happened, right? So we're talking about Coretta Scott King now, but I think it's also a time to, to look at the now, what's happening now and how do we create, you know, more historical moments. Um, you know, oftentimes in Black History Month, and you know, I do this as well, but we share posts about things that happened, you know, 50, 70, 80, 100 years ago, yeah. you know, January 20th was a historical day in black history. Most people don't even know it, 
most people would associate that solely with uh, the inauguration, Kamala being, um, you know, being inaugurated as the first vice president, you know, as the first uh, black uh, female vice president and first Indian American female vice president as well. But it also was the first day that Hiram Rebels um, was, um, was elected to the Senate. Hiram Rebels in 1876 became the first person of the first black person out of the state of Mississippi to, to be elected to the Senate. There's only been 10 black senators since then, well, nine since then, 10 including him, to go to the Senate. Um, two of those senators have, have taken positions of executive leadership in this country. One is Kamala Harris, the other one's Barack Obama. And so yeah. I think it's a good opportunity to recognize um, the history that's currently being made, as well as the as well as what's already being done, and then the history that is that is yet to be accomplished, right? The the achievements that that you know black people are doing every single day and you know how can and and think about as we look at black history as we look at american history how do we make sure that the two are constantly intertwined and how do we remove barriers so the history can continue to be made yeah that's great jamal and you know i love how you know you're saying we we don't have to look back a half century to find history. And I think we can all agree that 2020 was a historic year. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that's not really up for debate. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's a really nice way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, there's plenty <laughs> that we can debate about 2020, but I don't think we can debate whether or not it was a historic year. And certainly, you know, racial injustice and unrest were one of the, the themes of 2020. We know that healing isn't quick or easy, but how do we start that process, Jamal? Um, I think, I think honestly, you know, I don't think there's a getting past it. Um, as most people would likely say, I think there's a getting through it though. We have to, as a society, stop using kid gloves and, and soft language as it pertains to right. um, racism, racial injustice, um, and inequality as a whole. I think we have to create opportunities for for equity um, and really try to seek equal footing for for everyone in order to be able to to establish that because if we're if we don't have an equal playing field but everybody I guess and everybody is quote-unquote equal then it, it it doesn't it's never going to mesh so we have to work to create equity we also have to work to to be a bit more mature in the language that we use to talk about it and then you know, have the, the conversation as adults on what has happened, what is happening and how we can how we can keep that how we can keep that from happening for our children and our children's children to then move forward. Clearly, we have we have a long way to go, Jamal. And I think, you know, one of the most important points that you made was, I mean, this isn't a this isn't a black problem. This is a yeah. national problem. Yeah. So, you know, to that point. How can we be better allies to the black community? I mean, for me, I would say, um, you know, seek to understand, listen, yeah. um, be proactive, uh, challenge status quo, um, you know, challenge the challenge any anybody, be willing to be willing to let go of relationships that don't that don't serve the greater good. I think that's that's really it. You know, uh, you know, if if the same the same rigor that we would have around the same protection that we have around our women uh, we should have around everybody else right 
if if someone comes and says something and has a, a real sexist view, um, that can't stand, right? As men, we can't let that stand. As humans, we can't let that stand against other humans, whether that's black, white, or whatever. Yeah. Now that's that's good, Jamal. I appreciate you sharing that. I, I really do. You know, as we were talking over the events of 2020 and you know everything that transpired, you know, I I can share for myself. It's and I've shared this with Tim and Henry as well. I've always kind of felt trapped in the middle on handling a situation like this because I'm not a white person. I'm not a black person. Yeah. And, and where did that leave me? And often it was paralyzed doing nothing. And and this year was different. And I think it was different for a lot of people. But like you said, it, it was the first time I decided to just listen. And it was the first time I decided to reach out to to friends, to black friends that I had and black colleagues and say, tell me what your experience is and help me understand. And how can I help impact that? You know, and, and we've talked about that in saying, it, it was a quote from, from Dr. King, right? It says, we won't remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends, right? And so that's, that was a huge impact for me in, in everything that's transpired and, and really how we can try to be more effective in driving change. Because I, I think you're exactly right when you say, you know, we've got to approach it with the same rigor as humans, mm-hmm. right? 1,000%. It's just humanity. And so that's, that's beautiful. Jamal, I can't thank you enough for joining us. Your words have been powerful and meaningful to me personally. Coretta Scott King embodies so many of the kind leadership attributes that we've previously discussed. Forgiveness. And once again, when we define forgiveness, that does not mean that perpetrators are let off the hook. It means that we release our anger and move forward with our lives. She's a great example of courage, resilience, and understanding. I think it's clear that we can learn so much from Coretta Scott King, and I'm really looking forward to our leadership conversations in February as we celebrate Black History Month. Thank you, Jamal Oldham. And thank you, Coretta Scott King. And as Jamal mentioned, Wouldn't it be amazing if we could tweet her today? I wish we could. But you can reach out to Jamal. Find him on LinkedIn and give him a follow. It's worth it. For more KL podcasts, visit kindleadershipproject.com. Follow us on LinkedIn or find us on your favorite streaming service. This podcast is an expression of the views of Kind Leadership and its team. We're always open for discussion, so find us on social media and give us your thoughts.